that. Uh, and uh, again, it, we're, we're not out to be incendiary or controversial, but we want to make sure that we understand what the Bible teaches on these subjects. And um, so I, there's one here that I'm going to deal with tonight. Uh, it's uh, on the, the anointing of oil and the prayer of faith that saves the sick from James chapter 5. Um, I had heard of it being done in other churches before. I grew up in a church that did not practice that. Uh, but uh, when we came up here, of course, there were several folks uh, that uh, would do it. Brother Waymeyer, I know a dear friend of mine, uh, would practice that. Brother Dan's done it before. Uh, Brother Randy did it. And, of course, if someone asks us here, we'll do it and be glad to do it. But I have struggled uh, scripturally with it, trying to find out what, the Bible has to say about it, and there were some things that troubled me in the way that the passage was worded. So I, I, I did what all all good preachers do when they don't understand something or they are trying to come to the uh, understanding of something. After praying about it and going to the Bible about it, you begin asking other preachers about it <laughs> what they think. And uh, I have probably asked at least I would say 15 or 20 different pastors. And I, every single time, without exception, when I ask the question, the beginning of their answer always begins with a laugh. They begin laughing. And uh, then, they, then they stammer and stutter. And then I've probably gotten 15 roughly different answers and viewpoints on it. So I'm going to preface the lesson tonight. I'm going to share with you what I have found. I've spent several months on this. Uh, trying to study it scripturally and know what it says. I've asked uh, other people, friends of mine, uh, what their thoughts are on it. And I've gotten a lot of input, and I've looked at Scripture uh, thoroughly on it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best tonight to share with you what the Bible says on it. And I will say this, that it is, it's not a major issue, but it is an issue that we ought to know what the Bible teaches about it and then ask the Holy Spirit to give great wisdom and understanding it, and uh, going from there. Uh, I'm going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you'll turn with me there, and then we're going to look over in James chapter 5 in just a few moments. And I've got a lot of notes tonight. I've tried to condense everything I've studied in the last few months into uh, one message. I don't know that it'll be just tonight. It may be tonight and next Wednesday. And even then, I'm just giving you uh, the nutshell version of it. Uh, but I've tried to take the most important concepts of it to be able to do it justice and to to bring it uh, into something that's understandable from Scripture. Let's look in Second Timothy chapter two and uh, verse number fourteen. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, uh, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing. The word of truth. And I wanted to start off with this passage because my, my intent, my purpose here tonight is not to uh, strive about words, okay? Uh, I'm simply going to share what the Bible says. I'll give you a couple of thoughts, and uh, then, then you'll need to pray and see what the Holy Spirit wants you to do about this. Uh, if someone asks me to come and anoint and pray over them, I am more than happy to do that. Uh, so don't don't quit calling and saying, Pastor, can you come do this? I'm thrilled to do it. I'm I'm honored to do it. Uh, however, I do think we need to understand uh, what the Bible has to say about it, and perhaps the Lord will give us some some better understanding of what uh, James is referring to here. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles then and turn over to the book of James, chapter five. James, chapter number five. <clears throat> And uh, we're going to, I'm going to start in verse 13, but we're going to look at a lot of context because I think there's an awful lot in this chapter that points to uh, perhaps what James is, is referring to here. The book of James was written somewhere around 45 A.D., so keep this in mind. James was martyred uh, sometime prior to 67, 68 A.D., Somewhere in that time frame, there's some discrepancy on dates on that. Some say it was 64 A.D., some say it was 66, 67 A.D. But sometime prior to 68 A.D., uh, James was martyred. So we know it had to be written prior to that. Uh, you say, well, why is that important? Uh, because at that point in time, and it's very important for us to understand this, the apostolic gifts were still in effect. 
there were still men that were uh, healing with the apostolic gift of healing. Uh, even Paul, in his ministry, I believe at this point in time of the writing of this book, was still uh, being able to heal people. It wasn't until later in his ministry that we find there were co-laborers and workers that were sick unto death that he did not heal because he had already uh, lost that ability or that uh, opportunity, that, that gift of healing. Uh, and understand, we call the apostolic gifts the sign gifts. They were gifts that validated the message of the apostles, and they were for a transitional period to validate the truth of their message uh, was the purpose of them. And uh, once all of the revelation was given of Scripture, I believe all of the apostolic gifts have ceased since then. I believe there are certain times that God moves supernaturally as He chooses, uh, but it is not based on an individual. Uh, it is at his will and at his whim. That being said, let's read what James says here in verse number uh, 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Uh, in, in coming to this passage, uh, I, I again, I've talked to a lot of men, I've even heard uh, one fellow that was uh, giving me an answer, and he said, it's all about the prayer, it's not about the oil. In fact, the oil is insignificant to the passage. And I thought, okay, but where do we get all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable? If, the, if, that, if that was insignificant to the passage, then why did God put it there? There had to have been some reason for it. But what was the reason? And this was the thing that, that I struggled with. Because there are a couple of key words here that um, caused me to say, then I may be misunderstanding what's being said. Uh, as we get down to verse number uh, 15, now I'm going to share with you uh, what brought me to try to study this and understand it a little bit better, some of the questions I had. Uh, for one thing, in verse four, let's start in verse 14. For one thing, the Bible says that uh, is there any is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders, plural. There's multiple ones of the, which is singular, church. Uh, churches don't don't have more than one head pastor. They they have one pastor. So, are we dealing here with first of all? Are we dealing here with just the pastor? Is this the only person that is charged by James to do this? Um, and there are times that the word elder is used in reference to the pastoral position, but there are also times when John referred to himself as John the Elder and was not referring to himself as the pastor, as he was not pastoring at that time, uh, but the fact that he was just up in years. He was mature in age. And this deals, I don't think at all, with it saying the pastors, plural, of the church, as much as it's dealing with those that are mature spiritually, that know how to pray, uh, that can pray well and pray rightly. Uh, and so uh, the other thing that was interesting to me is in verse 14, it says uh, that this sick one is to call for the elders of the church. Uh, and so the, the, there's an inference here, and again, if you disagree with me on it, an inference can't be preached dogmatically. But I do think that there's something that is inferred here, and that is that it gives the idea of someone who is on their sickbed, and the elders of the church go to them in their home, on their sickbed, and to go through this process of praying for them. 
and anointing them with oil. Uh, it does not seem uh, anywhere in Scripture and does not seem to be in this passage something that is to take place at, in a church service or at a church gathering, but more something that is to be done in a home. Uh, and so that was of concern to me. I began to uh, try to understand whether or not that was uh, an issue or not. And uh, so then it says, And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so I began to think, okay, what does it mean to anoint him with oil? What Are there other passages in Scripture that deal with this? Uh, and lo and behold, there are. And we're going to look at some of those tonight. But I wanted to know, what does it mean, anoint them with oil? What do we mean by that? That's one of the questions that we're going to try to answer uh, tonight. What does it mean by anoint them with oil? And then I want you to notice verse 15. And this is where I began to have some of the issues and some of the questions. It says, and the prayer of faith shall... Do you see that word right there? It doesn't say might or could. It says it shall save the sick. Well, I have been in groups in the past, not in my home church, but in other churches I've been in and here, where we have come and we have anointed someone with oil, and we have prayed over them, and they did not get better. But doesn't the Bible speak here that this prayer of faith shall save the sick? Isn't that an imperative? Isn't it something that should happen every time we do this? If we do this, this will happen. And it doesn't seem to always happen. It does seem that it can happen, but it doesn't seem to always happen. So I began to question that. I began to question, well, if it says it shall happen, and we do that, and it doesn't happen, then what's wrong here? Was it because we didn't have enough faith, or uh, did we use the wrong kind of oil? What, what was the problem here? Uh, there was another question as we go on down here. The Bible says, uh, shall save the sick, and the Lord shall, do we see there it is again, shall raise him up. Shall raise him up. And, and, and don't, don't get me wrong. I've, I've, I've asked that question of several pastor friends, and one of the explanations that is often given is, well, even if they die, though, God doesn't choose to, to heal them and they die, then God has raised them up because now they're healed in heaven. Okay, but did we have to go through the anointing of oil for them to get to heaven? <laughs> Is that what that's referring to? If so, now we're dealing with work salvation. So there's a problem with the word shall here. Uh, so it caused me to question some things. You see where I'm at on this? As a pastor, I, I want to I take it and say, well, here's what it says. And then do it, and it do what it says. But if it doesn't do what it says, then obviously I'm misunderstanding something here. And I believe that I have misunderstood some things perhaps in the past. And, and then notice this in verse 15. So again, dealing with the elders coming, praying over them, and, uh, and anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Those two things. It says that it shall save the sick, that the Lord shall raise him up. And then notice this, it says... And if he have committed sins, they... What's the next word here? Shall. There it is again. They shall be what? Forgiven him. I find nowhere in Scripture, nowhere, where someone can pray by faith to have another man's sins forgiven. Everyone that has their sins forgiven must pray the prayer of faith themselves. So now I have a couple of questions that I think we need to try to answer. What is the prayer of faith? Who is the prayer of faith prayed by? See, we have two different people that are praying here. You see this? At least two. Let's look at it. Verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him what? Who's to pray? The one that is afflicted, right? Then there are the elders of the church... And they're to pray and to anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, out of the two, if we were to find which one is in agreement with the rest of Scripture, who is the one that is making the prayer of faith that is the forgiving of the sins here? It would have to be the one who is afflicted. Would you be in agreement with me on that? If that's the case, 
then he's grouped three things in chapter 15 to the same prayer. The prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Who's the one that did the prayer of faith, the elder or the one that was afflicted? Well, they both do, but which one is going to get the, get the reward of this or get the benefit of this? The prayer of faith by the afflicted. All right? So, <clears throat> now we need to take a moment and look at some context here. All right? Uh, turn with me back to James chapter number 1. And uh, let's look in verse number 1. One of the questions is, should we even be doing this in the day that we live? Uh, James chapter 1, verse number 1. And I'm going to share this with you. I'm going to share a thought or two. And then I'm going to leave it between you and the Lord, what you feel is the best course of action. All right? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to... Who's he writing this to? The twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Now, you say, well, that's true, Pastor. It was written to the twelve tribes, but the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That's true. Everything that James wrote in here is profitable, but it does not all apply to all of us. Uh, Is it profitable to us? Absolutely. Just as much as the ceremonial Old Testament law that was also to the Israelites does also profit us as we study it and learn from it. Are we obligated to it? No. Is it wrong if we have somebody come in here and have a Passover Seder and show us the Old Testament practice so that we can see kind of visually how it was? There's nothing wrong with it being demonstrated and shown to us, provided that's not what we're trusting to get us to heaven. And so, yeah, there's some benefits. We had an Old Testament Seder done here years ago. Uh, at this church, I went to it, and I'm going to tell you, I sat there and tears just flowed down my face as I saw all the symbolisms that Christ put in the Old Testament form of worship for the Jews that pictured redemption. It's phenomenal. But I didn't trust that night when I was going through the Seder to have that forgive me of my sins and wash me of my sins. But there was a wonderful benefit to me. There were some things I looked at and I thought, boy, that was just... Perfect, the way God designed all of that, put it all into play, into practice. The shadow of things to come. So, would we say then that James is profitable to us? Absolutely. Are we to say that all of it is written for us to obey? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. So, it's not something that is, I don't think, I think one of the things that we can certainly come to an agreement on early is it is not required that we do this. I would not want to say to anyone, well, you should, every time you get sick, you should do this, and if you don't, you're sinning by not doing it. Because it's not. Uh, secondly, uh, I want us to uh, look at a couple of things regarding context. Okay, In order for us to understand the context, we need to understand what James is talking about. So let's back up James chapter number uh, chapter five and verse number one. All right, James chapter five and verse number one. In the first six verses of this chapter, James is going to describe the kind of world that will be in existence that these twelve tribes are going to have to live in. Let's see what he says here about it. Go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Uh, ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been what? Wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Ye have what? Condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. 
We find in verse 4 that they are committing fraud. In verse 5, they're living by the pleasure of the earth. They're wanton. They're not uh, keeping themselves from anything they want to do. Their wantonness, their heart's desire, as in the day of slaughter, they're bloodthirsty. Uh, in verse number 6, they have condemned and killed the just. This is the world that James said, Listen, brethren, you twelve tribes, you're going to have to live in this. Now see what he tells them with regards to this world they're living in. In verse number 7 through verse number 12, he charges them. And I want you to notice very, very clearly some things here. Look in verse number 7. Be patient. What's the next word here? Therefore. So we know that these verses from 7 to 12 are dealing with verses 1 to 6. In light of what you're going to have to live in, here's some things I'm charging you. Verse number 7, be what? Be patient. Why, why do they need patience? Because they're not living in the most ideal of times. They're living in times where people are condemning and killing the just. Might be a little discouraging to them, would you say? Look what he says. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. I want you to notice this phrase. Behold the husbandman, what? Wait, who's the husbandman? Christ. He waiteth. In other words, you're going to have to be here for a while. Be patient. Then he says in verse number 8, Be ye also what? Second time. Be patient. You think he's trying to get across the message here. You're living in troubling times. There's wantonness. There's bloodthirstiness. There's, there's cruelty. There's, there's greed that's going on. There's uh, condemning and killing of the just. And you've got to live in it. Be patient. The husbandman waiteth. Be patient. Notice he says, verse 8, Establish your hearts. This is the charge. Don't be, don't be wishy-washy. Don't, don't cave in. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Notice he says, Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nine. Number nine, grudge not one against the other. Have you ever noticed this? Those of you that are married will probably relate to this better. When, you, when one of you is having a bad day, could the spouse, the other spouse say that that makes them grumpy? They, want, they have a tendency to, to snap, to bite, to get, get short with you. Well, I'll tell you what, why do you have to nag me so much? You know, it's, it's a rough day. Why? Because the oppression is, is so burdensome on it. It's not that they don't love you. It's that it rubbed them the wrong way. Look what James is telling him here. He says, listen, you're in this, this horrible world. Be patient. Be patient. Be, uh, notice he says in verse number 9, Grudge not one against the other, brethren. Don't, don't, don't yak at each other. Don't, don't get angry at one another. Lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Verse 10, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of what? Suffering affliction. And of patience. In other words, they said, look, the prophets had to go through it. They suffered and were afflicted. Keep a hold of that word for a moment. They suffered and were afflicted, and yet they were patient. They are an example to you. Take them as an example. Does it almost seem like James is, is beating the nail home? I mean, he's driving it home. Don't, don't grudge one another. Be patient, be patient, be patient. Look at the prophets. They were patient. Be patient. Don't give in. Notice he says, verse number 11, Behold, we count them happy which what? Endure. You're going to have to put up with some things. And if you do, you'll be happy. We count them happy that endured. We have heard of the patience of Job. There's that word again. And have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very what? Pitiful. What does that mean? The old English usage of anything that ends in full meant full of pity. Just like careful in the Bible means full of care. Uh, the Lord is hes not pitiful in the fact that He's subpar, but He, he pities us for having to go through the affliction, or pities them, for having to live in this world. And of tender mercy. 
But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by other, another oath, uh, but let your yea be yea and your nay be lay, nay, lest ye fall into what? Condemnation. All right, do we get the picture here? James says you're going to live in this horrible world. It's going to be terrible. Be patient. Grudge not. The Lord, the Lord pities you. He's full of mercy. Be patient. Be patient. Remember the prophets. Remember Job. Be patient. Be patient. Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Be steadfast. Lest ye fall into condemnation. In other words, you slip. If you have a problem, there's something there that can condemn you. Your testimony. Now, now look what he says here. Is any among you what? What is he talking about? He's talking about the world they're living in, isn't he? Now, what he's talking about? I mean, we're, we're reading the chapter here, right? The context. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. You say, how do you know that that's dealing with the world they're living in? Because he goes on to say this. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. In other words, if you're not afflicted in the world, praise the Lord. If you are, pray. Pray. Saying among you afflicted, let him pray. Then he says this, is any sick among you? Now, <clears throat> this is where it's going to get subjective for a few minutes. But, but hear me out. A couple weeks ago, uh, I didn't feel well physically. And I called uh, some folks in the church and I said, I am sick. And that was the right word to use for it. I'm going to tell you. In fact, it may not have even been a strong enough word for the way I was feeling at the time. I am sick. But, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day. And uh, we were talking about the way our world is right now. And I made this statement. It makes me sick. It makes me sick. I, I, I wondered, well... What sickness is he talking about here? Has anything in the chapter at all given us the idea of physical sickness up to this point? Would there be anything within the context that you could say might have the other definition of sick? I'm sick of this. Certainly, within the context, it would be very easy to see that. So much so that I'm sick, so why even try? I'm just going to give up. Do you see how that would very easily fit into the context of this passage? Now, if it's physical sickness, we have a problem with verse 15. Because the prayer of faith does not always save a physically sick person. The Lord doesn't always raise up a physically sick person. And if they have committed sins, the Lord doesn't... Forgive them because they were physically sick and somebody prayed for them. But if we take the context of the passage and we say the sick here is referring to them being sick of the situation that they're in, then we don't have a problem with verse 15. Because here's, here's one of the twelve tribes of Israel. And they're trying to be faithful in a world and the Bible says, "Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, hold that thought for a minute. I'm going to back up and we're going to take an offshoot and we're going to look at some things about the anointing with oil because it will tie into what we, where we've just gotten to. So don't lose the thought, the train of thought where we're at. You say, well, pastor, it could be sick physically. I could see the point where maybe within the context of the passage it's dealing with sick for the world they're living in right now. Okay, so hold that for a minute if we're still not quite certain here. All right, let's, let's bear with me for a moment. So now let's look at this thing of anointing. Uh, the, the, the anointing in Scripture is, is used for specific reasons. And keep your Bibles handy. 
I'm, I'm going to get through as much of this as I can, and I, I, boy, I hate to end in a certain point because it, it's going to leave you hanging, and I'm afraid you'll forget some things between now and next week, so bear with me. Uh, let's turn to Exodus chapter 29, and I want us to look at several, well, I want us to look at as many of these as we can from the Old Testament and New Testament, where anointing with oil is used and what it was used for, all right? So let's take a look at it. Exodus chapter 39. I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 29. Did I say, it should be 29. Did I say 39 earlier? Okay. Exodus 29, verse number 1. Exodus chapter 29, verse number 1. And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them, to hallow them, to minister unto me in the priest's office. So he's dealing here about setting some men aside to serve as priests. Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread and cakes, unleavened tempered with oil, and wafers unleavened, anointed with oil of wheatened flour, shalt thou make them. And thou shalt put them into one basket, and bring them in the basket and with the bullock and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons thou shalt bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt wash them with water. And thou shalt take the garments, and put upon Aaron the coat, and the robe of the ephod, and the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the curious girdle of the ephod. And thou, put, thou shalt put the mitre upon his head, and put the holy crown upon the mitre. Then shalt thou take the anointing oil, and pour it upon his head, and anoint him. And then he talks about doing it also with his sons. So the first, one of the first things we find in Scripture dealing with the anointing of oil was for the purpose of setting aside a priest. In fact, uh, and I don't have time to go into all of this tonight, but... If you used that particular, if anybody mixed the particular anointment that was uh, oil that was to be used for the anointing of the priests and used it for any other purpose, they could actually be cursed for that. It was specifically to set aside the priests. Uh, so that's one of the first things. I don't think that one applies to James chapter 5. We're not anointing a priest here. Okay. Uh, let's look at 1 Samuel. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter number 9. And again, we're, we're just going to try to find somewhere in Scripture where anointing of oil is used that will fit James chapter 5. All right? And there is one, so hang in there with me. Let's look at 1 Samuel. Uh, did I say 2 Samuel? 1 Samuel chapter number 9. And uh, we're going to begin reading in verse number 25. 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 25. And when they were come down from the high place into the city, Samuel communed with Saul upon the top of the house. And they arose early, and it came to pass about the spring of the day that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house, saying, Up, that I may send thee away. And Saul rose, and they went out both of them, he and Samuel abroad. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servant pass on before us. And he passed on, but stand thou still a while, that I may show thee the word of God. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, it is, it is, not, uh, is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain uh, over his inheritance? And so the second time we find anointing with oil is for setting aside one of the kings of Israel. Setting aside one of the kings. This one doesn't fit James chapter 5 either. We don't use that for that purpose. Let's look in 1 Kings chapter number 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter number 19. Let's look in verse number 16. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and Abel-Mehalah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. So not only do we anoint kings here, but we find, according to verse number 16, that they also anointed prophets. So at this point, we have priests that are anointed, we have kings that are anointed, we have prophets that are anointed. Let's turn to Psalm 2, the second psalm. Psalm 2, and let's look in verse number 2. Let's go back. We'll start in verse 1 and come in. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. And against his anointed. Who is he referring to here? 
Christ. In fact, it's interesting that the word Christ literally means the anointed one. All right, so we have four of them, four uses so far. We've got priests, kings, prophets, and the Messiah himself. None of those four yet fit James chapter 5. All right, are there other reasons for anointing with oil? Well, yes, there are. Let's take a look at those. Uh, Let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 21. And verse number 5. Isaiah chapter 21 and verse number 5. Prepare the table, watch in the watchtower, eat, drink, arise ye princes, and anoint the shield. And so there was anointing that was done when people were preparing to go to battle. Okay? I don't think that deals with James chapter 5. All right, they're talking about anointing their shields before they go into battle. Uh, let's look in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Let's look in verse number 1. And it came to pass, uh, <coughs> excuse me, when Jesus had finished all these things, He said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed uh, to be crucified. Then assembled together chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people under the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head, and he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me uh, ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my, what? Burial. So they would anoint for burial. I don't think that we're looking at that in James chapter number 5, unless the one that's sick is already dead at that point, which case I don't know that I've known of any of them that have been raised from the dead in modern times. Second uh, Samuel chapter number 12. Hang with me, we're getting there. Okay, We're seeing a lot of them that it doesn't fit, but I want to make sure we understand every other usage of anointing with oil in Scripture and then which ones seem to fit the, the passage. 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 20. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself. That's an interesting thing. And changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house and when he required, they set bread before him and he did eat. We find that there was anointing of oil that was an act of grooming yourself. He washed himself. He anointed himself. He put oil on it. There were some reasons for this historically among the Jewish people. Uh, Because of the sun and the dryness of the climate over there in that particular day, oftentimes when they would get done bathing, they would put oil on and lotions on to protect the skin. Um, They would use it for their hair and their beards, uh, different things like that, to groom themselves. And so we find that this is dealing here with grooming. Not real certain that that's what that's referring to. Uh, Let's look in Ruth, uh, chapter 3. Ruth, chapter 3. And we'll look in verse number three, verse number one. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz one of our kindred, whose, with whose maids thou wast? Behold, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man. So again, uh, we find that there was uh, an anointing that was done for the purpose of uh, the adornment or the grooming and the way they presented themselves, the way that they looked. 
Now let's look in, in uh, Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter 6. And um, Jesus is teaching here on fasting, verse number 16. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 16. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a what? Sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou fastest, what? Anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. Thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. In other words, don't have a solemn, somber, look like you just got out of bed, your hair's a mess. Uh, you know, I, I get the mindset, and this is the way I picture, I, I kind of picture uh, if, if, if James 5 took place in the day that we lived, that there would be some Christians that because of the world we live in would get so sick of it, so tired of it, that they would sit on their couches with a bunch of chips, not shaved, hair a mess, still in their pajamas all day, watching soap operas on TV, because they're so frustrated, they don't want to have to deal with the world they're living in. How many times did James tell them, be patient, be patient, be patient. Establish your hearts. And then he says, if any of you are afflicted, pray. If any of you are merry, let them sing a psalm. If any of you are sick, let them call for the elders of the church. And they can pray over you and anoint you with oil. I'll tell you my personal thought, and then you can make this decision after you prayerfully consider Scripture. I believe that this anointing of oil of the sick is similar to what is referred to here in Matthew chapter 6. Helping them get up off their feet, encourage them, get them, make sure they get a good shower, Get out there, look good, smell good, be a good testimony, and establish yourself. Get out there, be a good Christian in the world, be a light to the world that you're dealing with. Now you say, Pastor, I don't know that I fully agree with that. That's fine. That's where I've landed on that particular passage. I will say there is one other consideration that is something out there for you to think about. There is one other time in Scripture that the Bible talks about uh, the oil being used. Let's look in Luke chapter 10. Uh, there's actually two places. We're going to look at the other one here in just a moment. But look in Luke chapter number 10. And I would say this, that the idea of anointing with oil for the purpose of uh, brightening the face, getting, getting everything rolling again and not being sick of things, does fit James 5, and we don't have a problem with verse 15 in that case. Uh, but let's take a look here at this other one. Luke chapter number 10. And, uh, oh, let's see here. Let's go to verse number 29. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him, and departed leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds and what? Pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Oftentimes... In Jewish times of this day, pouring oil on someone was for the purpose of therapeutics. Uh, we would call it first aid or bringing medicine, feeding them some chicken broth, putting a cold cloth on their forehead. If it was dealing with physical sickness, I would tend to believe that it's dealing primarily with this. I don't know that I... I hold to the fact that it's physical sickness, and I'm going to show you why as we go back to James chapter 5, and we're almost done, so bear with me. I think we'll get it all in tonight. James chapter number 5. Now, we've already looked at context. 
we have found that, and by the way, just in case you're thinking I'm using an anecdote to define sick here, I did take the opportunity to look up in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary the word sick. And uh, I want to give you uh, those two definitions real quick. There were two of them in there that could be used. And uh, the first one is uh, affected with nausea, inclined to vomit, as sick at as to be sick at the stomach, and so that is uh, the first definition that comes up in the Webster's 1828. The second one that comes up means disgusted, having a strong dislike to. So unless you're thinking, well, pastors just using anecdotal or experiential definition of this, the King James translators, when they used the word sick, would have known both of those definitions, and could have very easily used the word sick here for that reason because it fit the context. Um, now, you say, why do you think that that's not? Is there anything else in James 5 that would lead us to believe that this is not dealing with physical sickness? And I think that there is. Let's go back again to James chapter 5. Beyond the fact that verse 15 does not work if it's dealing with physical sickness, and that's, that's the easiest reason to give because it does not fit physical sickness there. It could very easy figure in if it means that this person had gotten sick of society as a whole and that this prayer of faith that they're praying is going to save them, it's going to help them get back on their feet again and, and have their faith strengthened. The Lord will encourage him, will raise him up, and if he will have committed sins in that process, that prayer of faith is also saying, Lord, I want, to, I want to be steadfast again. It fits that context of use. But let's look at 16 as well and go down. Confess your what? Okay, he doesn't say confess your physical sickness here. He says confess your faults one to another. And what? Pray one for another that ye may be what? Wait a minute. Is he dealing here with physical sickness? No, the healing is over our faults. Do we see that? Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth what? And then he gives an example. Now follow with me. And the example he gives also has nothing to do with physical sickness. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. In other words, he was subject to sin just like you and I were. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So even though Elijah was, was not faultless, even though he was a man of like passions, even though he sinned in his life just like you and I do, when he prayed a prayer of faith, an effectual fervent prayer of faith, the Lord answered him. I think that illustrates very clearly verse 15. The prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. I don't believe it's dealing with physical sickness here. I believe it's dealing with the sickness of the world they're living in, and that they've given up, they've, they've gotten discouraged, they've, they've said, I don't want to be steadfast anymore, I'm tired of the battle, I'm sick of it. And the, that's when the elders of the church need to come and gather around that person and pray and strengthen them, anoint them with oil, encourage them, get them back on their feet. And when that person prays and asks God to help them get back and be steadfast, then all three of the things in verse 15 shall happen, and they'll happen every single time. You can't come to God in a backslidden state and pray by faith to return to Him and him say, no, you're not going to. Every time, he will make you whole. Every time, he will lift you back up. And every time, if you have committed sin in that, he will forgive it. It fits the context of the passage. Now, notice what else he says here. Verse number 19, we're not done yet. Brethren, if any of you do, what? Err from the truth. It just seems to me like in the context of this chapter, everything dealing with the affliction and the sickness deals with 
us getting frustrated with the world we live in and erring from our ways. Now, go back to say, this is written to the Jews. Can we benefit from it? Surely we can. I think that the Bible teaches very clearly in verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. Why? Because we're all sick? No. Because we're all light-passioned. And we all have the same opportunity to get frustrated with the world we live in and begin to backslide and get away from God. Let him know, verse 20, that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way. I'm not dealing there with physical sickness, is it? Shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. That's in agreement with verse number 15. Now, if you get sick physically and you say, Pastor, I really want you to come, anoint me, and pray over me. I will be happy to do so. And I will pray by faith. But I would ask us to do this. Let's not say that because pastor put some olive oil on your forehead that that made the prayer effective. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The anointing of oil does not increase the power of the prayer. I will be glad to do it. Please, please, I am not here to change the way you think on things. I had to study this to know where I stood on the issue because I really did not understand a couple of things that didn't seem to make sense to me in James chapter 5. And if you say, Pastor, I still don't see it that way, that's fine. This is not one of those major issues. Okay? But I do think we ought to try to rightly divide the word of truth as often as we can and try to understand it as best we can. I've had a number of people here in our church ask for a prayer and anointing, and I'm glad to do that for you. Please do not stop doing it if that's the way you hold to and you believe that that's what this is teaching. I am more than happy to do that for you. I will not. It's not one of these doctrinal issues that if we are wrong on it or can't understand it clearly, that, that somebody's going to die and go to hell over it. Um, so it's not one of those issues that is a major issue. But I do think that there are some things that I've come to understand of that that seem to be different than what some people have said. And I'll tell you this. Out of all the preachers I talked to, there was not one of them that held to what I hold to. So if you ask all of them and me, then you'll have all of them and mine different from one another. Okay? So... I hope that helps. I've tried to be as very clear on it and to use Scripture as clearly as possible to try to say what I believe that is very strongly teaching. And so I hope that will be a help to some folks. I've had a number of people ask about it. Uh, you know, what's, what's up with this? What is the deal with it? I think this is what it is. Okay? All right. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer. And I hope again that that's been a help to you. Father, we come to you tonight. And, Lord, the truth is we... We don't understand everything in Scripture. In fact, we will be the rest of our lives this side of heaven trying to study it, to become better workmen, to have better understanding and fuller understanding. And Lord, all we can rely on is the illumination.